Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, purple pleasure fields in the sun, science is mankind's brother, seeking answers from Alice, and your mind's guaranteed. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. All right. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. We're actually broadcasting from a wonderful Sunday afternoon from the Vinegar Room Saloon. This is This is Vinyl Tap. And if you can't tell, today I am your host, Tony Slagle, joined always by our usual host, Doug Cooper. Hello, just sitting here being unusual. <laughs> and of course, our very humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hello, everybody in podcast land. And tonight we are talking about an album that uh, came out in February of 1967, I believe. Three um, days or like four days after I was born. Ah, four yep. days after. It's about JM. Our humble <laughs> that producer. That didn't take long. <laughs> it did not take long. Uh, we were talking about Surrealistic Pillow by the Jefferson Airplane, uh, an album that is considered by many to be one of the top 10 psychedelic albums ever made. Uh, we have talked about psychedelic albums before. We'll get into a little bit of uh, discussion about that. But as we always do, I would like to ask the person who picked this LP why they picked it. And that would go on Mr. Cooper. Doug. Well, thank you very much. Um, this is a complicated story. <laughs> Number one, I present Exhibit A. This is my original copy. <laughs> oh, man, it's on it's, it's it's pieces. It's, it's got a nice DC uh, scrolled on the top in red And marker. it says Doog yeah. on it. Um, but uh, the, the reason I point that out is this is one of the first records I ever oh, got. It does say Doog. Um, and so when you hear me talk about this record today, you will not be getting an objective opinion about this record. You're going to get... It's it's like listening to a college football fan talk about his team. Uh, this is uh, deep, deep inside of me. I'm talking middle school, uh, and it's it even is weirder than that because I associate Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship with an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Which one? As you know, when I was a little kid, every day after school, straight to the fridge for a bowl of ice cream and then into the easy chair to watch uh, Star Trek. The OG Star Trek. Yeah, not the yeah, sensitive right Klingon that has single parent 
right? All yeah. that kind of garbage at the where we're friends with Klingons. This is the one with the tribbles. This is yeah. one where uh, some girl's face got cloudy every episode right before uh, Captain Kirk kissed that's her. Right, the <laughs> soft focus lens. <laughs> anyway, I was really disappointed the first time I kissed a girl and her face didn't get cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the episode is called the path to Eden. I oh think. yeah, that's the one where they have the uh, they the, find all those hippie and yeah, they, Spock plays the yeah Spock plays the harp with the hippies <laughs> and the hippies. In my mind, that was Jefferson <laughs> Airplane. <laughs> Even though um, w- the hippie that looks like uh, it's uh, uh, David uh, Freeberg, yeah, who was eventually he was in uh, Quicksilver Starship. Messenger, and then he was eventually in, in Starship. 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 Yeah. He looks just like the hippie called adam in the, so, in the star trek in a star trek episode huh. and they they played psychedelic hippie music on on the uh, enterprise and everyone yeah. was groovy um <laughs> well that was the time Chekhov's, period right a friend was a co-russian friend was yeah she, yeah, she romantically involved yeah. in some, anyway without going too much further into that uh, <laughs> I, I, the two became meshed in my brain together that's funny um the other thing that's funny about this is I am the opposite of Jefferson Airplane. I, I, I don't like drugs. I, I would have been horribly irritated by the summer of love. Everything about that would have driven me crazy. Um, but I love their music. And I'm, I'm sure that when they were fighting against the man, the man was something pretty close to what I am. And uh, except <laughs> sans power, that is. <laughs> uh, so it's really a it's a funny thing for me to be so in love with this band the way I am. I, I think it's I think it's really interesting that we're talking about this album after we just did the um, the album we did the prior love, episode, love. The love because uh, really, if we were going to be uh, chronologically chronologically correct. correct, we would have done them in or in, in reverse order because this is sort of in a way the trumpet sound to the summer of love. Yeah. Whereas the um, love album, love album taps. is yeah. yeah, it's taps. <laughs> uh, it's it's the it's the oh this is we, not we what we thought. Yeah, and taps. We yeah. thought it was. Whereas this is all about heralding that 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 time period yeah um so I, it's it's just and, fa- and these guys to me. if you watch uh they never really uh they never really left that uh they don't have any uh i want that i mean most of them don't want it dead it's gone now yeah it they don't they don't see the uh, excess yeah, yeah, they, or maybe they do but it doesn't bother them they were probably having the time of their life and uh the guys in love obviously weren't yeah, they were having they were having some. Uh, well, I think it yeah, says yeah. speaks volumes the fact that the band was no more essentially by the time that album came out. Whereas yeah. this band became various modes of transportation throughout their career. <laughs> <laughs> it did, and and uh, it, it's a little bit like this band's not too far different than a Fleetwood Mac and some of the people coming and going, and yeah. the, the, each each uh, manifestation has a lot of input from different people. This is a very, uh, it's like what we said about the um, uh, commander Cody crowd, a whole bunch of people making contributions. One other thing that's really important when we're talking about psychedelic, um, we finally have an unquestionably 100% psychedelic album and uh, the cover 
is not nuts. psychic. Yeah. We've <laughs> gone mean, through I, all these psychedelic yeah. covers, and now we finally get one, and it looks like, like uh, <laughs> it looks like a Mormon. Um, yeah. Well, uh, other than the fact that they're messing with your mind, because I don't believe they're they can they can play the instruments they're actually holding on the cover, <laughs> is what I read. They're, yeah, everybody's holding an instrument they can't play that they can't play. Yeah, um, and it's a very yeah, it's like a it's a very straightforward. The back covers a little bit more what you might call because it's a collage, a little bit more psychedelic. Mm-hmm. I and mean, even somebody the, has the the, the negative re- uh, picture as yeah. the lights reversed. Um, but okay, well, since you opened that door, Doug, <laughs> I'd like to talk about psychedelic music a little bit because we have mentioned it several times on the podcast, mainly in terms of what we're talking about not being that. Right. So I would like to ask you, Doug, what can, can, can you describe, or do you have a kind of a definition in your mind as to what psychedelic music is? What do we mean when we say that? Well, it, um, you have to be so careful because <laughs> as soon as I say something, they're going to be a, an exception, but it has to embrace something strange. I think it's conspicuous in its embracing of strange. Uh, One of the things that um, I always associate with uh, psychedelic music is Indian music. Mm. The sitar in particular. uh, Well, and the, and the modes they use, uh, they use modal or scales, Indian scales that are different. That's common. I, I think it's part of all this open your mind deal. And one of the first things you do when you open your mind in the 60s is you slam the door on your own culture and go around and find another one and uh, get get enmeshed in that. And that's that's what a lot of people were doing with uh, with what they call it, raga rock, 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 yeah. rock. <clears throat> yeah. So. I have a follow-up. Well, we didn't really talk about what, like, are there certain tropes that fall into, and it's okay if you paint a broad brush. We're, we're not, we're not going to nail think, you down. Uh, the but guitar I think, is immediately recognizable on most of these with uh, the new effects that were available. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they use them a lot. And this album is one no of the exception. clearest examples no of exception. big, uh, yeah. he talks about having a, uh, What's it called? Uh, echo, uh, echoplex. Echo, echoplex on his guitar to create that big uh, playing in a. You know, it sounds like they're in an empty hallway or something with it. To me, another kind of sort of um, signature to the psychedelic sound is the drums. The drums have a certain sound. And I think on this album, there's, yeah, on this album, there's like reverb on the drums, I think is the thing. But there's also also kind of drum circle drums. Yeah, the way the the, the rhythm is very, like, it's got a feel to it that's different. Yeah. 
Jam, I have a question for you. All right. Is there, do you think there's a distinction between the two sides of the pond and what they were doing with like, or is there a difference between British psychedelic and American psychedelic music? Yeah. And I think that the distinction can be in the use. I think British psychedelic music gets a little bit more into the keyboards and it likes to kind of make those. The far fascia yeah, organ. the far fascia and organ. And, you know, even our favorite instrument, the Mellotron. Um, I think that in the guitars, while they're part of it, they're, they're more strummed, I think, in, in psychedelic music over on the other side of the pond than here. I think the guitars. Tape loops. Don't they use them? Yeah, tape loops. I think the other thing is there's there's the lyrics are much more sort of even though there's a song <laughs> you take everything with a grain of salt there's a song on this album that deals with childhood uh, literature I yeah. think British psychedelic music is very much rooted in this sort of childlike uh, dreamlike world that that you are yeah. as a kid the imagination of stuff and I also think it's significantly more pop oriented like it comes from a a, a pop. Yeah. Americans be more blues oriented. Blues oriented, definitely. Um, I, I remember reading a biography of Pink Floyd. And they're talk. They talk about coming over to the states when Sid Barrett, you know, when they were touring for Pipers at the Gates of Dawn, the Sid Barrett album, and they go to San Francisco, which is the heart and soul of psychedelic music mm-hmm. in the states. And they were disappointed by it because it was so kind of straightforwardy rock and roll. You had Janis Joplin and um, um, Big Brother, and Big Holy. Brother and Holy Company, and you had the Dead, and you had Jefferson Airplane, and it wasn't like this weird sort of stuff that that. Pink Floyd was doing, yeah, you know. Um, well, a lot of people came from England to the Summer of Love and all that, and left very disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess that's what happens when you set up these utopian uh, ideas of uh, yeah. what it's going to be like, and you find out it's still. Do you, Lord, um, Lord, it's still just real life. <laughs> do uh, you guys know what band was the first band to utilize the term psychedelic in relation to music? 13th well, floor. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Wrong. Wrong. Who was Wrong. it? There's a band called the Holy Modal Rounders, which was a folk band <laughs> uh, from 1964. They, their first album had um, had a contained a cover version of a Lead Belly tune called Hesitation Blues. And their version had lyrics that were different than the Lead Belly version that used the term psychedelic. Got my psychedelic feet in my psychedelic shoes. I believe Lord of Mama got the psychedelic blues. Tell me how long I do, do I have to, to wait? Or can I get you now? I must have hesitated. So that's obviously different than what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> uh, I used that, to listen to what, what's his name play that all the time. Who's that fast flat picker? Uh, that's dead. Doc Watson. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's considered sort of the first 
use of the term in relation to music and they say, you know, and they call it psycho psychedelic, um, <laughs> psychedelic blues. Um, and then of course, you know, we're, we're talking about the summer of love, which is 1967, but there were other, there was other stuff going on prior to that. I think most, um, apparent is what the Beatles did on revolver, right? You've got, yeah. there's two songs in particular, I think that fall into that. One of them is this tune. So that's, of course, I'm only sleeping from Revolver. And then, of course, this song, which I think Tomorrow Never Knows, which is like a psychedelic masterpiece. It is. So there's your tape loops and your uh, backwards. Uh, How many, uh, the way you have your. Indian music. How many uh, notes in that? Uh, how many chords in one? I think it's one. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's it? one chord in yeah. that song. So, yeah. well, that's not a lot of that in rock and roll. <laughs> and then uh, just to slide back over to our side of things, um, the band that I think was in the most competition in the states with the Beatles were the Birds, and of course in '66 they did Eight Miles High. And even that, I think you can tell the difference. Even the birds being as Anglo, you know, centric as they are, um, you can tell the difference between what they were doing and what the Beatles were doing. They're copying Coltrane. Yeah. Yeah. And he's copying uh, Hindu music. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty... uh, pretty interesting when all these different sounds come together so here's my question you 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 sort of touched on it earlier so those are just songs that have this kind of psychedelic soundscape but there were bands that actually used the term to describe their music in fact uh used it blatantly on an album the name of an album what was the first band to do that to use the word psychedelic. psychedelic yes well, wasn't that the uh, 13th floor elevator? The psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators? Wrong. Well, <laughs> you need to get out of Austin, boy. Um, no, that is common. Common uh, history, music history says it's the psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators was the first album to have the term psychedelic, and they're considered the first. It's considered the first psychedelic album. There was, in fact, an album by a band called The Deep. Um, which was a New York band. Uh, I've heard of the deep. They released an album a month. Their album came out a month before the 13th floor elevators album came out and it was <laughs> called psychedelic mood. Didn't sell well. They were only a studio band, but they were in fact a psychedelic band. That counts. Yeah. That song's called Pink Ether, by the way. <laughs> um, and then, of course, a month later, you get the 13th Floor Elevators, an Austin band, Rocky Erickson, uh, 
they put out as they had a single called "You're Gonna Miss Me," which reached number fifty-five on the U.S. charts, which was a minor hit for them. Um, and their album "Psychedelic Sounds of the Thirteenth Floor Elevators." So what made that band so unique, guys? <laughs> the electric jug. They had an electric jug player. Um, and uh, he he didn't play just a little bit. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, uh, before we get out of this, just brief aside on Psychedelic Rock. That same month, another band, in fact, released an album with the term Psychedelic in it. In November, same month, the 13th Floor Elevators album came out. A band by the name of the Blues Magoos. You guys know that band? <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, sounds like a made-up band for Saturday morning. Well, yeah. we talked about them already with... Uh, who were we talking about when they popped up? I don't know, but their album was called Psychedelic Lollipop, and We Ain't Got Nothing Yet was the song. That was a top five hit, guys, which, uh, as you can see, the psychedelic movement was hitting the mainstream. So by the time the clock turns around and New Year hits by 67, that was all the rage and rock. That is why I think we get all the funky album covers and people trying to um, cash in on the psychedelic movement because it was starting to really take off. Uh, regardless of what the sound in on the grooves in between the grooves was well, when you brought up uh Rocky Erickson uh -huh. something happened it's time ladies and gentlemen for a game of connections this is where we try to connect this episode to previous episodes who is connected to whom and we're going to add a extra connection to bit connecting this episode to something i just pull out of thin air <laughs> all right guys do you have any connections with this uh episode and previous episodes i've got one yes sir rick gerard the producer producer of this record and how he's aerial ballet by harry nielsen there we go oh wow i didn't know that well well you should have if you'd listen that. to uh <laughs> this is vinyl tap you'd know that jay <laughs> all right that's a good one i didn't catch that but that's true jam would you uh like to try well i mean the most obvious one is jerry garcia was supposed to have been there I don't know how much he had to do with the actual album, but he was that's mentioned disputed. Yeah, we'll yes. talk, well, I think we'll hit on that a little a little later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jerry, he Garcia, was at least a guru. Yeah, uh, I think he was more than that. I do but, too. Um, I think there's proof that he was more than that. But I thought that he actually played on the album. Well, there's so do a lot of other people. I think there's proof of that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jerry Garcia, and that was the American Beauty. And he's famous it. for a band called <laughs> The Grateful uh, Dead, Holding in the Way, and The Grateful Dead. We haven't talked about Alden in the way. Though. All right, uh, Tony, you got another? Well, uh, yeah. When we did our little um, songs on albums you wouldn't recommend, we did a Jefferson Starship album. Oh, I didn't even think about that, obviously. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> that's as obvious as you get. <laughs> yeah, we already did this band. <laughs> that was uh, a, a good number of this band was still there, mm-hmm. minus a, a little bit of tuna. Yeah. Um, uh, warm tuna? <laughs> Room no, temperature tuna? More than that. <laughs> well, speaking of hot tuna, uh-huh. Jack Cassidy, uh-huh. uh, an extraordinary bass player, uh-huh. probably the best musician on this album. I uh, can't believe I just said that about a bass player. But uh, he played on Rocky Erickson's um, one of Rocky Erickson's albums. So oh, that's what made me, that's that. what launched me into uh, uh, "Don't Slander Me" was the album he played on. Huh. So I didn't know that's that. interesting. And I used yeah. to go to church with Rocky Erickson. You did, is, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure his attendance was, uh, my attendance was made possible by my father, and I, I don't know about his attendance. He's much older than me. I'm this young man. But his brother uh, was a symphony yeah. tuba player that with, of great renown. Huh. I did yeah. not know that well, either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy, um, outside of what he did with the elevators, he's some of his solo stuff is remarkable. I mean, he could write it. The guy could write a song. Mm-hmm. Yep, well loved here in Austin. If you can't tell, yeah, I've got I've got an interesting one. It's kind of a stretch. Um, we like to stretch here. Yeah. yeah. So you remember that guy Dave Mason? Oh yeah, I know him. Do you remember which album he supported? And uh, a guitar player, a very, very a guitar player of great renown. He he played on that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's um, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, oh, that's right. He played on Hendrix's album. I forgot about yeah. that. He played on Electric Ladyland. Yeah, and so, so did, did Jack, Jack Cassidy. Cassidy. Yeah. Oh, so okay. That's a connection. Yeah. No, that works. And there's uh, there's another uh, connection. These are ones where I cheat and I don't <laughs> depend on. How about Virgin Atlantic? <laughs> that's that's a broad connection, but okay. <laughs> Virgin America. I mean. <clears throat> Virgin America as the airplane, the yeah. airline. They named their first airplane Jefferson Starship. Is that right? Um, airplane. Jefferson oh. Airplane. They haven't yeah. named their Starship yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's a connection. Oh, the Beatles. How about a connection with the Beatles? This is a weird one, I have but no it's idea. super cool. Okay, what is right. it? There was this thing the Beatles did. They played a concert on top of a building. Oh, yeah, and the, and the airplane did that, too. Huh. For what, their third album? Uh, I don't remember which airplane album it was. I think it was in support of the third album. It was, but 60, it was, was it, before the Beatles. It was before it was. It looks, if you see yeah. it and you don't yeah. get to see faces, you would think you were watching the really? Beatles. Yeah, uh, it's the, it, it, yeah I, I, that's a, I had forgotten about that, that they played on a rooftop before the Beatles and it, did. I mean, the, the film, everything looks yeah. just the same. Yeah. Same problem with the cops. Uh, Marty yeah. Ballin got uh, arrested for that one. Well, the difference, though... Between the Beatles and the airplane is... The, the Beatles, Beatles sounded great. <laughs> no, well, not just that, but the Beatles uh, weren't... There were members of there were members of this band that were outwardly aggressive towards the uh, police. Well, they were uh, trying to launch... Uh, they're trying to throw blows against the Empire. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Beatles uh, were just kind of sticking, sticking it to them, but they weren't really, yeah. you know... But I encourage everyone to look that up. It's, it's weird... To watch the Beatles imitate someone, and uh, I mean, we could get really weird and talk about. I mean, these guys. This is the only band of this era that played all three of the kind of historic major pop 
Well, yeah, this, yeah. we should talk about that since you brought it up. They so, were at the big ones. Yeah, they played Mo- the Monterey Pop, which is, uh, by all accounts, the, launched the Summer of Love. It was, yeah. what, June, early June of 1967? Yeah. They played Woodstock, and then they played, of course, Altamont. And um, they, they did not have much nice to say about Woodstock. They said it was a mess. I can't. I don't think they had much to say about Altamont either, because no, one of them got Marty Ballin got uh, beached by uh, by yeah the the secure quote unquote security yeah. that was uh, oddly enough, uh, I believe um, brought to Altamont by the Dead. I think Jerry Garcia was the one that recommended the Hell's Angels to watch out for you know provide so, security. <laughs> if you're looking wow. for security, uh, try other places before you ask a, a hippie. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, they they loved Mon- the Monterey. Uh, well, that was uh, I think that there's reasons too because I think every there was still a gloss on all that. It was a well, big I deal. I think it was organized too, and there were a bunch of British bands that had come over. They were kind of introducing themselves to to the American uh, American listeners. Um, Hendrix played it. I mean, I think it was a big deal. By the time Woodstock came around, things were already starting to disintegrate a little well, bit. Well, um, they said that they were supposed to go on at nine. Yeah. At Woodstock, and they went on at six a.m. I think that's so, a common yeah, complaint a, about Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. You know. Anyway, so we are talking about um, a monster band in that San Francisco sound, and uh, mm-hmm. unlike most bands that we've talked about, where they struggle and struggle and struggle, this one pretty much went okay. We're here, bing, and then we're done. <laughs> and they are. Would you not agree, both of you guys? And you don't have to, but easily the biggest band of that part of the world at this time commercially and just I would think yeah they were they were kind of the they North were able star. to create uh commercial success that the other big bands the San Francisco bands didn't necessarily get for a while right yeah. and they and they did it without uh selling out or I mean they did later yeah <laughs> Grace Slick yeah. one of uh, one of the people we'll talk about tonight is Grace Slick and she is one of the most entertaining people to learn about yeah but my uh respect for her increased when she went on about how much she hated that song we built this city <laughs> and uh I think it was a huge money maker for her but yeah. uh, gosh she hated it and I appreciate that <laughs> Doug, um, since uh, I'm hosting tonight, we're going to take a little bit of <laughs> That's a. Right. Yeah. We're going to take a little bit of a different tack than we normally do, and I'm going to ask you if you can tell us a little bit about where this band came from. Well, folk, blues, uh, <laughs> jazz. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's one of the the keys that we'll talk about is uh, this. This is an eclectic group of musicians. And we we hear everybody talk about diversity a lot. Most of the time when people are talking about diversity, they're talking about superficial things that aren't really important. But when we talk about diversity in this band, we're talking about people with interest all over the place. So you basically start with two two groups. You have um, uh, Jack Cassidy and... um, (laughs) Drum, drum, I always screw up on his name. Kakakian. Uh, oh, uh, Kakian. Kakonan. Kakonan. Yeah. And uh, Jorma. Just call Jorma. Him Jorma. Jorma. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is Jorma. Um, but uh, none of those 
roll off the tongue for me. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, this is a band full of names that are a little difficult to pronounce. <laughs> that's why I like Jack Cassidy so much. Um, and Marty, well, what about Marty Balin? Yeah, yeah and that's well, he he changed his name, so that's helpful. I, I'll tell you something about changing names. If there is any name in rock and roll that sounds like a fake name. It's Grace Slick. It's Grace Slick, Slick and, it's <laughs> and it's not, not fake. <laughs> it blows me away. Yeah, yeah. Marty Marty Ballin is the fake name. I'm going. You got to be kidding me. Anyway, so you have those two guys in Washington D.C. growing up together, and uh, they're they're of different ages, but eventually they find themselves in. Um, they're in the folk scene in uh, New York. And Cassidy's roaming around with uh, with jazz. He's getting uh, into the jazz thing. And he switches. In high school, he switches from guitar to bass. And he said that something just clicked with him and the bass, and he felt like he could go somewhere with the bass where he's going to probably pause out on the guitar and not get, uh, not get very far. Um, but those two were in a band called, uh, what was it, Triumphs. And they did a, uh, they did that number for a while, and eventually, these guys got to get to the West Coast. So, um, Kakun, <laughs> just call him Jorma. Jor- no, Jorma. Uh, he he's a very entertaining guy to watch interview too. Uh, he ends up out in the West Coast, and uh, first time he goes out, he bumps into this crowd that's out there with Jerry Garcia. Uh, and um, uh, Janis Joplin and that that whole crowd. He ends up playing with Janis Joplin, just accompanying her while she sings. And uh, eventually, being part of that crowd plugs him into the uh, some of the guys in Jefferson Airplane. That's the other half. It's Marty Ballin and Paul Kantner, and they're doing the. Paul Kantner is uh, Pete Seeger. He's going to change the world with his music. And Marty Ballin is uh, more into the uh, pop uh, sounds. Mm-hmm. But those two are together in a band, and they need uh, a guitar player, so they get uh, Kirk Owen. And then um, he, suggests, he suggests they bring uh, Jack Cassidy in. So he comes out, and uh, like I said earlier, he's probably the best He's probably the best musician out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh and they get going, and uh, uh, who's the lady that they add? Um, Signe. Uh, Signe Tolly. Yeah. Or Tolly. Uh, um, well, and the reason they add her is because Balin thinks, you know, he's got this tenor, and he's like, we need to do something that's going to stand out. So they wanted this strong female voice that would compliment him mm-hmm. when he's singing, and so that's why they went that route. Um, one, of, one of the things you, you didn't mention that I just find interesting Maybe we're going to get to it. So if I'm jumping ahead, I apologize. That's all right. I don't that, know where ahead is. Is that uh, Barney Ballin? Um, is it Balin or Ballin? Ballin. Ballin uh, opens up his own club for the band to play. Oh yeah, the pizza place. <laughs> yeah, huh. he converts a pizza place. It's called the Matrix, and so they're it's on his, Fillmore Street. Yeah, it's his his band or his club, and that's the band. The band plays at the Matrix. Yeah, he wants a house band. I just think that's really fascinating. Yeah. You know. Right. It's uh, where's this guy get this money? That's what. Who knows? It sounds like a little bit like our friend in uh, the birds <laughs> with his um, <laughs> with his trust fund. Yeah. Where um, where's the name come from, Doug? 
Jeff, the Matrix? Jeff, oh, Jefferson. Jefferson. I don't know that. I knew it once, but I have forgotten it. Well, yeah, it's know. disputed. Um, one of the things, the stories is that they got it after, um, he, supposedly, Ballin had a friend, this guy named Steve Talbot, who would make up parodies of blues guys. So he came up with his name, Blind Lemon Jefferson, um, Airplane. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's what he would call Balin or Balin. And uh, and so that's one story where they got the name Jefferson Airplane was from Blind Lemon Jefferson Airplane. The other is that it's the name of a, a kind of a makeshift roach clip um, where you, you that sounds like one I used could two, use two matches or something. I'm not really sure how it works. I tried to figure this out, but it's a it's um yeah, like a do it yourself roach clip that you can. You, and for those of you who don't know what a roach clip is, it's what you smoke. Marijuana joints as they get down to the very tip so you don't yeah, waste any of it. Waste um, it. This would be so you don't end up with stems and um, <laughs> seeds. Stems, yeah. seeds and stems. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably more likely the name, the, the made up blues name, the um, Blind Lemon Jefferson Airplane. Um, I don't know why he came up with that, why he thought that was funny, but... Hmm. That's where it comes from. Well, and it, it makes it easy to convert to your next uh, band. Uh, mm-hmm. We just keep the Jefferson and improve transportation. <laughs> so. Make it a little faster. <laughs> let it go a little Well, further. they do drop the Jefferson at one point, though. <laughs> well, they... Uh, Paul Cantner made they, them. <laughs> they, put out a, uh, they put out an album um, called... Jefferson Airplane Takes Off. Yeah. Very clever. No one. Oh, you're talking about this band, their Uh debut. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, if you listen to it, it's more folky um, than the album we're talking about. It's a lot more birdsy too. There's a little. There's a lot more jangle to it. They're the first band from this 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 group of musicians signed. They get signed to RCA. They get signed easily. Easily, the very first San Francisco hippie band will call them to do it. Um, And that that album does pretty well. That first one, mm-hmm. not 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 well by uh, grand standards, but just uh, better than anybody thought it would do. And that, I think they had to do another pressing pretty early because they're particularly they're so popular in San Francisco. The, the interesting thing about it, though, is every single they released failed to chart. Yeah, that album. They they and that that is something that continues to the album we're talking about, sort of. When they released their first single, they hit pay dirt with the second one, but the first one, same thing. Um, it's it's weird uh, what you're talking about, but anyway, uh, they they release that album, and, and it's an, it's important, I think, for everybody to know, uh, just to make clear that this album does not have Gray Slick on it. The debut album right. has um, Signy Signy Tolly, mm-hmm. um, who. Very fortunately, and a, a very on Stevie Nicks maneuver, uh, decides she needs to quit and go take care of her new baby. Yeah, she's had a daughter, and she's struggling to keep keep uh, up with that and which, being a rock um, band at the same time. Which yeah. was great for her daughter and fantastic for <laughs> Jefferson Airplane, yeah. as they're about to stumble into good fortune again, and they pick up this lady from a band called the great society. Um, that was some of y'all may not know. That's the, uh, that's the name of the program that ended poverty in the United States and uh, LBJ Institute. Yeah. 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 He's uh, uh, if you you can't see this, JMI can see that Doug's tongue is firmly planted in his cheek when he said that. 
Yeah, um, anyway, uh, he was good friends with my grandparents, so I wasn't allowed to talk bad about them when they were alive. Anyway, um, and I'm talking about LBJ, not the not, not the, the not the band. <laughs> the, you, know, you can my, say anything you want to about the band. Um, They're just hippies, Doug. <laughs> well, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead, Doug. Well, I was just going to say that uh, they pick up this lady from... Um, the great society named Grace Slick, who is, I think, just what they needed. Yeah. I think her voice, I, I like I, something to say about the voices. One of the things about the psychedelic sound that we didn't talk about was there's a lot of uh, harmonies in, in it. Yeah. And co singing. I think Marty Ballin has a fantastic voice. I've always loved his voice. I love uh, Grace Slick's voice. And mm-hmm. Paul Kentner. For me, if I hear his voice, that's the most Jefferson's, uh, Jefferson Airplane sounding thing of all is his voice, I guess, because it's all over the place. And to me, I think of the other two singers is lead guitars. Yeah. And he's the rhythm guitar because uh, his voice is just filling that, yeah, that bottom level and huh. it's just solid. It's not moving around a lot. And you have Marty and uh, Grace going, oh, you coming <laughs> in, in this uh, first song. We'll hear them going back and forth yeah. and able to do whatever they want while he holds the uh, the tune together. But yeah. uh, her entry into this band is, it, it changes things more than the addition of one person should. Yeah. And I think it's, it, I think, her entry is probably the most important thing that happens to p- propel this band into uh, the stardom that they. She's got yeah. an unbelievably strong voice. Yeah, I mean, unbelievably strong. Yeah. And and the songs that take off on this album, she sings lead on, and and it hit a nerve with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, b- b- before we go though, I did want to talk about Skip Spence just because I, I. Yeah, think he's, he's pretty interesting. Interesting. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was the original drummer. Um, who was talked into being a drummer. I think he was a guitarist. Yeah, he was, he was guitarist. talked into being a drummer. And he ends up, uh, you know why he left? Or why he is told to leave? Well, I, 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 I do know that he was having trouble managing himself. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that is true. And uh, they are... Um, they show up at a gig one day and Skip Spence decided to go to Mexico instead of play the gig. So they're like, okay, I think <laughs> that's, it's that's time it to find Skip. somebody else. Yeah. So oh, they I get they're so strict. They get yeah. Spencer Dryden, who is a session guy, session drummer. Yeah. And uh and he he takes the but the reason Skip Spence is important two things. One is he goes off to form Moby Grape. Which is an offshoot of his band, and he also writes one of the song. He wrote one of the songs that's on Surrealistic Pillow. Mm-hmm. So, just wanted to make sure we oh. mentioned him. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you did because uh, Moby Grape is somewhere we're going to have to go eventually too. Yeah, yeah. they're uh, they're very similar to this band. They are, um, in my mind, uh, fantastic. Music. Well, and and the 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 interesting thing about Grace Slick joining the band is she joins in um, mid October of '66. She makes her live debut with the band the day after um, what's I can't, signatory sig- leaves and yeah. tells the audience who loved her 
I'm not going to be here anymore. And so Grace Slick, the day after, is playing in in front of an audience that's aware that she's not that person anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So they go, they, they, um, They've got a new lead singer, or not lead singer, but they've got a new female lead singer in the band now. Yeah, got a, and she's also plays, introduces keyboards into the uh, mix as well. She's plays the piano on this album. Ah, and and the recorder as well. Yes, and the recorder. She does a fine job. <laughs> she is a fun, she is one of the better recorder players uh, yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Um, but because most of them class. are uh, in elementary school, <laughs> driving their parents crazy, and and I rudely pulled Doug back from this, but she did bring two songs to the band from her previous band, the great society. And both of them were monster hits. So yeah, it, yeah. yeah. So I think Doug's absolutely spot on when he talks about kind of the intangibles that having great slick in the band did for the airplane. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the first album was produced by this guy named Tommy Oliver. Um, and the band didn't get along with him very well, even though, you know, the thing, the album sounds fine. Uh, they were also a little disappointed by the lack of interest in the single. So they wanted to go with somebody who was a little bit younger and who they thought was more in tune with the kids, with the kids. That would be the, their Tony. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. So Rick Gerard was a, I think he was a, um, a studio, like a studio producer. What do they call those? Um, Engineer, house, like a house producer. <laughs> house Thank producer. you. Yeah. Um, and he was a musician, and he knew rock and roll. Here's the interesting tidbit: he played in a band called the Wellingtons. Do you know who? Why the Wellingtons are famous? Mm, no, they defeated Napoleon. <laughs> they appeared on and recorded the theme song to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That may be the most tidbitian tidbit we've ever had. So anyway, he produces Surrealistic Pillow. He goes on to produce, as we said, he produces several Harry Nielsen albums. He produces Jose Feliciano. He does some demos by the Carpenters. He's dabbles after this, but this is the album I think he's most most famously known for. His work with Gilligan and, and Gilligan, and so they go into the studio. You know what? What's kind of cool about the date they start recording? Halloween, nineteen sixty-six. Oh, so anyway, yeah. and then they bring in somebody that we mentioned earlier. I think it's probably a good time to talk about Jerry somebody Garcia. to love. Oh, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. So well, Jer- they loved him. <laughs> they did love him. So Jerry Garcia is, in fact. Listed on the back of this album as, I believe, spiritual advisor. Is that yeah. what it says? Yes. Spiritual advisor. Um, and the band swears that he played guitar on several songs. They swear he helped with the arrangements on several songs. The producer says that never happened. Yeah. He says that he was... Um, had nothing to do with the album. He was not involved at all creatively with the album. He's never met Jerry Garcia. Um, that he was never. He's never talked to Jerry Garcia. However, there is in fact paperwork from RCA that has Jerry Garcia listed as a musician on on stuff. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, did you know that RCA introduced the forty five <laughs> RPM single? So. Um, I don't know why why Rick Gerard says this, but it's I think it's fairly obvious that Jerry Garcia was in fact involved with yeah. this album, not just playing but doing other things, helping them arrange some of the songs and giving their input on it. Yeah. Um, it's such and a weird band, thing to argue about. 
Well, I think the reason why is because as producer, he feels like the sound of the album was his. And it, it sounds like Garcia had a lot to do with the way this album ended up sounding. He well, also named it. Right? Well, but, I, I heard that he's saying that they are, their music is as surrealistic as a pillow is soft. Well, there you go. Which, that's that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No. But well, um, I, I I had something similar to that, so that sounds about right. He had heard some music played back, and that's when he said that. So, yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm I don't know if the guy was ever good at analogies, but <laughs> <laughs> that's just a weird one. That music is surreal as water is wet. I, I mean, I just it's just weird. But you know. I haven't been drinking mushroom tea or anything. So. Sitting in a cloud of your own smoke. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, Kakon said that after he made more records and learned what the producer does, he re- he he said Jerry Garcia wasn't the producer. He was a uh, arranger. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Um, that's, that's something that he said maybe within the last 10 years. Um, well, and, and, and that sounds about right. Cause I know that some of the songs, in, including some of the more famous ones are, are, he's gotten credit for changing the way they sounded to be what the final product was. It makes more sense that he's listed on the album as spiritual advisor because he was signed to the dead was signed to Warner brothers. And it, it's just a, this early stage, I don't know yeah. about now, but this early stage in, in music, in rock and roll music, it just got messy. Yeah, you didn't want to. That's why we have Rocket A Johnny. All right, we ready to talk about Surrealistic Pillow, guys. I think we I are. I think we're always ready to talk. <clears throat> yeah. All right, so now we go to side one, track one. She has funny cars. Okay, boys. That's a pretty um, good introduction to the Jefferson Airplane sound because everybody's singing. And, well, I don't uh, think we have uh, Paul Kantner yet, do we? I don't know. Do we have Paul Kantner on singing on that? I didn't um, hear him. I think he is singing on it. I think yeah. he sings during the song. Yeah. But, but. The, and I, I love the way those two are just, it's they're like two birds flying around each other. Well, they're and, not yet. Uh, it is pretty interesting how Grace Slick's vocals and her lyrics are really not connected in any real way. Yeah. Um, but it makes it, I, this is a great way to kick this album off. I think so. Um, it's got that, it starts off with that kind of uh, wipeout drums at the beginning. Of yeah. It, and people, it, people yeah. call it a, uh, they call the tempo this quasi a Bo Diddley beat. Yeah. Is what they call yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I, I love both of their voices <laughs> well, I, I think it's cool how when the, the guitar kicks in and then the bass kicks in and they're playing essentially the same riff, mm-hmm. but the bass has this funky, fuzzy thing, fuzz tone thing going on. Yeah. It makes it just sound the, it's the, a fuzz bass. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the, the bass player is the musician that gets talked about the most, um, not yeah. just this album, well, but all of their stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, he was pretty sought after. What, what is it? The, uh, 
Gip, or was, yeah, Gibson named a bass after him. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, he plays a uh, a Gibson uh, strange bass. It's an F hole bass. So it's a hollow body. It's semi hollow body bass, and uh, so it, he has it, and he uses that pretty much ex- extensively through his whole career. And he's got a unusual style. He plays with the pick most of the time, but then there's there's times when he won't. We won't hold that against him. Yeah, he also. Uh, he he's played a Guild Starfire bass on yeah. on this, um, but I don't I don't think of his bass playing being out in the front. It's it's mm. not um, it's well, it's not out there. But everyone talks about there it. There are songs on this album where the bass line is iconic. Yeah, and you and the song is not the song without the bass line in it. Um, oh, and who was it? I guess Marty Bound said he's the one that kept everything together and kept yeah. everything moving. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, there's something interesting about this song that happens a lot on this album. The guitar solo kicks in and then the song fades out on the guitar solo. Yeah. That yeah. happens a lot. It's interesting. I, I, I don't know if I've ever noticed that in any other bands, but it happens yeah. a lot on this album where mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, this is, and then you're expecting it to come back around and it just fades, it fades out. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the the guitar is not, in the background. No. No. Um, it's sinewy it's, all through the, you know, throughout the whole. And it has a very song. distinct sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you guys know what the title means? No. No. Absolutely nothing. It means okay. nothing. Malin said it's just some surreal nonsense he made up. It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> I think that's, we're going to run into that again. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on to number two. This is a song I think. Maybe some people have heard of, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, somebody to love. Did you hear that guitar come in right there? Yeah. That was the most psychedelic sound I can think of. Um, it's a song from uh, the, Great Society. the Great Society, written by her brother-in-law, uh, Darby Slick. And thank you, Darby. Yeah, um, he was uh, Grace Slick's brother-in-law. Uh, yeah, brother. <laughs> her, her, guys... husband, her, her husband was in the band. They were all yeah. three in this band, and they were she, all three. She was life. married to Jerry Slick, yeah. who contributed a great last name to go with Grace. Um, <laughs> uh, but her voice on... I cannot believe somebody just walks in and says, okay, here's a song, and I'm going to sing it, and wow. Yeah. So <laughs> this is one that's on FM radio all the time. And I've never got tired of it my whole life. My, my wife, I told you, my wife texted me on the way over here and said, turn on 98.9. And it was on. Um, I, I will say this and probably get booed. Um, I like this song, but I've always, <laughs> Doug, Doug's looking at me. With a <laughs> I've always felt she's just a tad bit melodramatic for me on this song. Just a tad bit. Well, it's a, uh, you, I was listening to the lyrics a lot this this week and i uh, also did some reading on it i i kind of see where you're going with it but when you listen to the lyrics i mean it's uh, really about how you just feel like an outcast if you don't have somebody to love that you know? that maybe said, you've just had someone to love for no, too long tony that, and you that, don't understand that being said 
I get why this song had the impact it did. This yeah. doesn't sound like anything else that was no. coming out of the radio in February yeah, 1967. It doesn't um, sound. But where's this huge voice? I mean, yeah. 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 That's, there's a it, lot of women singers, but this voice, this so, brand new, and oh, I'm, I'm the backup person that just took over, yeah. and it's this monster sounding well, voice, is, and in that her, guitar. This is her Ringo Starr beat, drum beat song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a little more um, effective. The, uh, have you guys heard the original, the uh, Great Society version of it? So it's more of a, like a mid-temple shuffle. Yeah, they, they, it's, they, it's, this one's much more uh, ferocious. They doubled the tempo of it. That sounds like some guy playing a electric guitar like he's playing uh, an acoustic guitar. There is absolutely zero urgency in that, yeah. even in her vocal performance. Yeah, it's just, it's so flat compared yeah. to the song that Jefferson Airplane recorded. It's like she's trying to be a good singer. Yeah. I want, who, whoever said, okay, we're doing this instead, yeah. I'd like to know I'd like to know that well, story. I didn't hear anybody say. Supposedly, Jerry Garcia is responsible for the arrangement of this song. This huh. is one well, of the songs good, he... Good he, on he, Jerry. Yeah. My Best Friend was the next song was the first single released um, and didn't do much. This was the second single released and it um, entered the charts at number 88. And um, by June of that year, it was number five, peaked at number five. Um, I'm just curious. I would love to have heard it on the radio when it first came out without any of the background that I had when I finally yeah. heard it. Well, and, and I was cognizant of it when I was listening to it this time, because like I said, her vo- vocals have always just struck me as being a little bit melodramatic, but I was cognizant of you, that, that you say that a lot. So I was trying to speak, I was trying to put my place in that, my myself in that headspace of what would this have been like in February or March of 1967? I've got the radio on. And this comes out of the speakers, and it w- it would have probably yeah. blown the top of my head off. Yeah, and I started listening to this in junior high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, as I said earlier, <laughs> I am no critic on this album yeah. because I can't hear anything but the same wow I heard when when I first heard it. Well, it's it's definitely has has had an impact and continues, I think, to have one. Um, and the solo at the end of it is just not, amazing. But it's the it's the second song in a row where the yeah, solo, solo kicks in, in and the song fades out. Yeah. It's like okay, yeah, you know, you kind of it want, does. It I mean, does. It, it it's really a pretty abrupt end. It is, and you kind of the the funny thing about it is you're kind of wanting a little bit more. You're like, ah, I want. I'd like to hear a little bit Which more I of this. Think and, is so smart. Yeah. No, that. it is. Leave you wanting more. All right. All right, so we're gonna. I'm not hosting. No, it's me. <laughs> so we're gonna move to the third song on the on the uh, first side. This is my best friend, which um, was written by the person we said shuffled off to Mexico during <laughs> during the proprietary gig. Skip, Skip Spence. He must have seen his best friend. Maybe. Oh, my best friend. Oh, my best friend. Oh, my best 
Now that is groovy. That's the most uh, flower power song on the album, I think. Why? Uh, how, how did the monkeys not ever cover that? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think I think Jam's absolutely right. You, I know why the record company picked this song as a first single because it sounded like everything else that was coming out at that time, yeah. with a slight exception. The guitar sounds very yeah. different than yeah. anything else that was being played on that same kind of flower oh, wow. power song. Yeah. And um, it, it breaks off from the 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 tune breaks in a completely different direction. Um, when they start talking about, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, so that, that part doesn't stay in the same, right. Same peaceful groove. But yeah, this song didn't even crack the top 100 when it was released. Um, as opposed to, as opposed to somebody love, which shot to number five. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I love this song. I do do too. too. I do too. But it's, um, and it's not your favorite. No. Well, I was wrong again there, ladies and gentlemen. Wrong. No, it's it's. I will say it's the one that has stuck in my head the most it when I'm listening. It does get stuck in your. It's head. an earworm. Yeah, it um, is an earworm. Be walking around singing it because it's it's catchy. But no, it's not my favorite song. My favorite song. We'll get to it. I I like mainly because it's so unusual. All right, this is today. To be loving you, it'll. Right, babies. <laughs> uh, uh, that's definitely the most psychedelic sound on the album. I think I, I love that guitar. On I, this do song. I do too. So I love great. the guitar and I love those drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Marty, Marty's voice—that's what it's for. It almost sounds like I, at first. I thought it was Grace Slick. No, it's very there. There's yeah. um um no. That's yeah. it's definitely. Uh, I, I was confused at first too, but I mean yeah. you can tell it's not her. But yeah. they're very similar sounding voices. Um, There's something about when people sing together a lot, they yeah. start to sound alike. Yeah. That's true. I, I That's notice true. that all um, the time. Yeah. So this song, uh, it's not unusual for this album, but this song in particular has a lot of reverb on it, especially mm-hmm. on the drums. And um, I just I bring it up because in talking about this song, the producer said that he wanted that to be one of the sonic characteristics of this album. He wanted that to be a textual element of this album, yeah. the reverb. Well, and, the, and they don't, they're, they're not keeping time. They're, they're being used like, um, like a symphony uses right. them, you know, it's, it's to add a little flavor to yeah. it, but it, they're not keeping time at that, that tambourine's doing that. The band, uh, didn't particularly like all the reverb, but, you know, I think what it he, works. It works really well. This is one of the songs Ger- Jerry Garcia supposedly put yep. his guitar on. He's, yeah. he's been credited. With well, that. he's listed on the RCA label copy as a guitar player on okay. it. So um, maybe everybody that could object is dead now. <laughs> maybe <laughs> grateful well, or not. Yeah, yeah. But it's you know one of the things about this album and this song in particular is this almost sounds like the blueprint for when people wanted to make a comedy or even a serious movie about the 1960s. I mean, like if you listen to this album, it is like the, the, the actual, the, the, I mean, this song in particular, it sounds like a song that it was almost written. It's like, they're almost making fun of the psychedelic. Well, the, re- the reason I laugh is because when I put this on, I was taking my daughter to 
um, high school the other day and I had the song on and I said, I said, Hey Betty, the, the 1960s called, they want their soundtrack. Back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, uh, it, I'd say that, I'd say that about this whole record. It's yeah. quintessential. Uh, it's the, the prime example of this, this which, era. um, one way of looking at that is it was very influential and mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. people copied it. This yeah. is Marty Ballin and Paul Kentner writing yep. together, yeah. yep. as they do quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you got to remember, those two came in together from the folk world. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Yorma comes when, in. When Paul and Grace get together, it's like Marty's kind of by himself because, you know, the. The bass player and the uh, guitar player are pals. Yeah. So uh, that's that's when a lot of the in the seven in nineteen seventy when things started the friction starts happening. Yes. Yeah. Um, the songwriting team was losing its steam. Yeah. Oh, that rhymed. That's right. I do that all the time, Tony. All right. So, <laughs> so moving on to the final song on side one, we've got "Coming Back to Me." Summer had inhaled and held its breath too long The winter looked the same as if it never had gone And through an open window where no curtain hung I saw you I was about to go into a trance. <laughs> That's a beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. I remember when I when I was in college hating this song. I, Why? I, really? I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no That's idea. Interesting. But it's just. I bet a lot of people hated you. I know. I, 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 but, the, yeah, I don't yeah, know how now, you can hate I, now, this song. Yeah, now I'm just like, how did I hate who, this? Song? Who does Doug Cooper want to accuse of borrowing heavily from this sound? Oh Lord, God. British or American? I don't think he'd like to be called British. Let's say UK. Van Morrison, mm-hmm. with uh, I come down my come. I, it's my so much yeah. like something he would do. Yeah, um, yeah. I and you know he spent that time in San Francisco. Yeah, that's true. Sucking yeah, true. up a lot of that's a true. lot of yeah. stuff. Up. Well, uh-huh. this has got Grace Slick playing the recorder. Yeah, and that yeah. works. It does, and yeah, it's it it's great. beautiful. It sounds like a flute. Yeah, um, it was really, really she does pretty. A great job on um, it. It's nice to hear a recorder that's not torturing parents. <laughs> this song, uh, this song was uh, written in one sitting after Artie Ballon smoked some particularly potent weed. He said <laughs> he ran to the studio and used whatever musicians happened to be in the studio, which were I guess Jerry Garcia, Jerry Garcia, Grace Slick, and Cassidy. Jack huh. Cassidy. So that's who's on this. And then, of course, him. So this is Cassidy on. playing guitar? Or? I don't know. Sounds like that's it. who he says. He's credited for bass. I say Garcia is being a, a spiritual advisor during that song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the only thing I would say about it is uh, it, sometimes the lyrics sound a little forced. That's a know? love song. Yeah. Well, the lyrics aren't very good. No. They're um, not. But 
you're not even supposed to have your your brain's not even supposed to be engaged dude yeah um well let's just say that he's not likely somebody who could knock off a masterpiece in one sitting yeah well (laughs) he's written some of the worst lyrics ever written yeah Yeah, he really really there you go yeah Oh, miracles like, being well, <laughs> with give me your loving with sugar on it. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like a Def Leppard song. Horrible. It's it's uh you know how radio shortens songs uh-huh. for uh, radio play. Uh-huh. Thank um, God they shortened that. They did him the biggest favor. They in cut the world, that out. But, well, it's on the album. Yeah. But uh, what was that? If only you believe. It's all miracles. With sugar on it. It's it's oh yeah. Ooh, yeah, baby. It's the worst seventies uh everything was so cool in the sixties and ten years later it was know, so ugly and bad. Yeah. Like this this song could as far as I'm concerned, this song could go on for a half hour. Yeah. And I, I would never get it. It's tired the longest it. song on the album. And uh Oh it is, yeah. It's yeah. all it's five over five but minutes. It doesn't, long. This kind of song it doesn't matter because I know, it doesn't, it doesn't. You drift it doesn't. off. Yeah. It's it, so good. It's a great way like to it. end the album, or a great way to end the first side of the album. Yeah. yeah. So we flip her over, and we get to three fifths of a mile in ten seconds. That's pretty. Is that fast? I don't know no, if that's I don't fast. Think that's very fast. Okay, that's it's, slow. Is that as fast as Bob Seger? I don't know. I love that song so much. So, yeah, we're back. We're back into kind of garagey rock yeah, territory. Really I are. I don't know what the guitar is doing on this it is song, so but it is, cool. it is it is a nifty sound to say the it least. It almost sounds like it's playing being played backwards. Yeah, you know, it's but, weird. And it, or yeah, it's just, but it's not. It's just bizarre. And uh, three fifths of a mile in ten seconds isn't very fast for an airplane, I guess. Oh, okay. It's, it, it, well, you know, the title came from. Balin was reading the sports page, and he just said, oh, that looks like a neat title for a song, and slapped it on there. <laughs> um, this, of course, has that reference to 15-year-old weed dealer. Um, <laughs> so, what does it say? Sometimes the price is $65. Prices like that will make a grown man holler, especially when it's sold by a kid who's only 15. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I love the, the drums or the snares on the one. Yeah. I mean, every beat. And it's it, It's... What's nice about this is it's the it's it, somebody's thinking. We haven't talked a lot in a while about sequencing, but somebody's thinking about this. Yeah. So you end the side with this kind of nice, the first side with this nice, soft, mellow trance-like song. Yeah. And you flip it over, and you're back to this bam, just, bam, yeah, bam, 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 bam. Four on the floor. Yeah. Which right is what you want to do, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's just so cool. I mean that the. the this is the most interesting guitar, I think, on the on the album too. He's almost not like he's playing with the volume knob. He's just doing like I was saying earlier. It sounds like he's playing backwards. I would. I looked and looked, and I just wanted to hear him talk about what he was doing with his guitar and yeah. uh, nothing. They had a lifetime achievement award that he yeah, got in L.A. or something, yeah. and he and Cassidy are talking about. Um, yeah. What what. You know, the, the, the think about these guys been buddies since junior high school and they're yeah. still going around that's and making cool. music together. Yeah, it's it's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's like Rush. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, all these guys are so much better once they're old. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. They mellow. Yeah. I mean, and they, they know they know how full of it they were. Yeah, they get yeah. the that kind of idealism, kind of tempered like, with some. Like some I've said a thousand times, I'd hate to see what I'd do to myself if I met my nineteen year old self. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, and but and Cantor, I, I saw this song being performed on some show in in. Um, and I did some research on the how they made this album, and they are all playing the same guitars throughout the whole song. Paul Kantner plays a, a Rickenbacker twelve string on almost this whole album. That's a good and, guitar. Yeah. That's a Tony guitar. Yep. And uh, so there's a he's you can hear it on this song in particular. And then I think they had like one or two acoustic uh, acoustic guitars in there, and then Jack Cassidy's playing that that Guild bass, but. Um, it's a, yeah, it's just, it, again, this is just a fantastic song. And it's one of those that escaped my attention in, the, in college. And I'm glad I got to make it right. Revisit it. Revisit it, yeah. All right, moving on to song two, side two, DCBA 25. Too many days I've left on stone. Ending right there yeah. sounded so love. <laughs> no, this is uh, that, that way. That yeah. dong. This is uh, this is a contender for my favorite song. It's not my favorite song, but I like this song a whole lot. It mainly because it's it's, it's birdsy as hell. It is birdsy as hell. I, I and it was written by that guy we were talking about with the uh, twelve string. Well, you know why he wrote it because Balin Balin or Balin. I keep mispronouncing his name. Balin. I think it's Balin. Okay. That's sorry. Sorry, sir. He's uh, he's listening from far away. I got gotcha. you. But Balin encouraged um, him, Cantor, to write more songs because he wasn't writing enough songs. He's like, you really should write more tunes. And this is yeah. one of the ones he came up for that. And the title, of course, refers to the chord progression and LSD 25. So let just combine <laughs> okay. the two. I was wondering why. I, I thought it was a chord progression, but I didn't know where the 25 came and, in. You know, it's it, we we talked about uh, so many of the um, uh, what the ca- casualties of LSD. We had a Peter um, Peter Green and uh, Brian Wilson, uh, Sid Barrett, Sid Barrett. Uh, yeah. they, there's there's more, and then these guys were drinking it like Kool Aid, and they're all fine now, and yeah. none of them. Uh, they they yeah. were talking. About, I never had bad bad trips. I guess Cantner said, yeah, I have trips, but they're not bad. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's such a different history. Yeah. Well, and, and I think there's something to be said about, especially if you're talking about someone like Brian Wilson and Sid Barrett, and I think Rocky Erickson falls in this too. There was something already, I think a little amiss. Yeah. They with were, them. They were and it grabbed, a hold, it grabbed a hold of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. and we've, I've known people that I thought DCBA meant Doug Cooper, bad, um, <laughs> badass. badass. <laughs> you should get that monogrammed on all your shirts. <laughs> Someone goes, what's that stand for? Doug Cooper, badass. <laughs> uh, Jefferson airplane did a song about me. That's right. <laughs> um, but when Paul you were Kattner, two years old. uh, 
he's um he's the revolutionary in the band yeah he is he's wanting to fight the man and he his solo album you remember we talked yeah (laughs) well yeah it's blows against the empire is such a perfect name for a paul Kantner album (laughs) and you remember when we were talking about that group, I guess it was Jackson Brown, we're talking about David Crosby and all uh-huh. those guys hanging out talking about, we ought to just get them boats and go. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was in that group and uh, he helped write wooden ships that yeah. was about well, all that. And then, but he wants to get on a spaceship and go somewhere <laughs> else. And then he wants to, to fight the Empire. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, he was way ahead of the uh, Star, Star, Wars. Star Wars before that's Star Wars. That's got to be the I, trippiest I, album cover ever. And that's where the Jefferson Starship came from, right? That album? Yeah. yeah well, that's he, a, that was the bridge between, yeah, between the two. two. I, and I, everybody I, plays on that album. I have, to, I have to read these, though, because there is not hippier lyrics than I've ever seen in this. <laughs> I t- This is from the song. I take great peace and you're sitting there searching for myself. I find a place there. I see the people of the world, where they are and what they could be, and I can but dance behind your smile. Oh, this mm. put a flower in the in the but rifle butt or it's, a it's barrel that, and But he's he he is the one that knows what everybody else can be. It's it's the uh all these people just, if everyone would just listen to me and let me run the universe. Uh, so, Doug, we're moving can on. you tell me, since we're moving on, tell me, how do you feel? How do you feel? When I meet a girl like that, I don't know what to say. But to greet a girl like that, up my day, my day. How do you feel? I feel groovy, baby. Can I ask you guys a serious question? Sure. How did the mama and the papas not spawn? This is the suit, most mama. Sue these guys when this song came out. <laughs> pop, pop, That's pop. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a bad song, but it sounds so much like the mamas it and really the papas does. to be. It's it, spooky. Oh, well, they, they, Wait, they, it, it, uh, there's none of the edge. None of the and, edge. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's a couple of things. This is, um, who sings lead on this? Well, I think everybody's singing. Yeah, yeah, I but I think old. it's Paul. Paul Kantner is uh, is the main guy. Is the main guy, huh. and it's also written, not written by anybody. In yeah, the band. nobody else. By this guy, Tom Maston. Yeah, yeah, he was a friend of uh, friend of Kantner's back in his folky days, and he's also a friend of the producer Rick Gerard. Yeah, um, I mean that, that's kind of a there is one. This is kind of an aside about the Jefferson Airplane and uh, Starship. Jefferson Starship is that they. Their material just comes from so many different places. It comes internal, it comes yep. external, and they're, you're, they're, it's not like they're doing cover songs. It's like the material just comes from yeah. different places, yeah. and uh, this album's no exception to that. Um, that's uh, a lot of people don't know that um, uh, Paul Maston is the same guy who wrote the Coca-Cola commercial. Is that right? I'd, I'd like, like to teach the, the world. No, that's Tom, not Tom, true, but Tom it should Maston, be. Right? <laughs> I thought it was Paul Tom, Williams who Tom wrote Maston. that. Tom Maston. Yeah. What did I say? Paul. Anyway. And, uh, he, ladies and gentlemen, do not write and tell me he didn't write the Coca-Cola song. I'm sorry I said that. He's it joking. just sounds like it to me. No, this is... It this sounds is, like that happy hippie. This is, yeah, this is Age of Aquarius, uh, yeah. the happy hippie holding hands in mm-hmm. a circle. Yeah. I mean, it's just all and over not, the place. Not fighting the empire. No. Yeah, which is odd that he's the the main guy on it, but 
Well, maybe he was throwing his friend a bone. Who knows? All right. Next song's pretty interesting. The next song we got is a song called Embryonic Journey, an instrumental. You want to guess what kind of tuning that is, J.M.? It is a uh, drop D tuning. That's right. It's yep. bullseye. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like uh, uh, Leo Cocky. Yeah, something. it does sound like a Leo. It, it almost sounds like, uh, I know it's it's before this, but there's some Jimmy Page stuff uh, on physical graffiti that I think kind of reminds me of this. But this is this is absolutely beautiful. And it, he plays it so, it, so it, well. It wasn't supposed to be on the album. Really? Yeah, it, this was a song that uh, that Jorma Kirkonen, I'm sure I'm butchering his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he he had for a while. It was he uh, I guess sort of started it um, when he was doing a workshop in Santa Clara in 1962, and he didn't want to do it on the album um, because he didn't think it felt like anything. It didn't really fit the character of the album. And Rick Gerard heard it and was so impressed. He said, "This has to go oh, on this and album." It, it's it's perfect it, it where is. it comes in it's, is perfect no it's it's it yeah. is it's it's um i mean it for one thing it takes a little bit of the sweetness out of the last song yeah yeah and it and it sort of lulls you <laughs> into some sort of you know yeah. kind of different state before white rabbit smacks you across the face yeah um no it's 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 again talking sequencing i think that this yeah. album does it really well yeah and i think that song's placement is is perfect it's 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 a nice uh break it takes you outside mm-hmm. of yeah. everything else and it allows white rabbit to come in and sound fresh yeah uh, i, I want to add has had anybody done anything like this before on a on a rock record? album on a rock i album. mean no maybe not a rock album but i'm sure there's i mean yeah, i'm of, sure like folk music yeah. and stuff but i i've just i remember when this when i heard this the first time i guess i was in the first time i ever listened to this album all the way through was in in college and I just remember going, wow, I've never heard anything like this on a rock album, you know, after, you know, lots of times. And, and, you know, Eddie Van Halen always had his little noodling noodling stuff that he got to do. I'll tell you what's really weird about it. This band was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1996. And that's one of the songs they played. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like everybody else goes sit down. <laughs> huh. That, that <laughs> yeah. is, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. I yeah. wonder why they picked this song. Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, this is the first song he ever wrote. Maybe really? they wanted to give him one of his own. I don't, I don't know what. He's the, such an integral part of this band and Hot Tuna, but he's such an integral part of this band yep. maybe that's just his it's so funny after all those guitar noises we've been hearing for this to pop mm-hmm. up yeah. yeah no again i think it's the best lyrics on the album <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really talked about the lyrics much doug i'm yeah. giving you a break on that because yeah. i know you love this album so much but uh no i think again i think sequencing it fits it's perfect as you said it uh i had thought about this um but it does allow white rabbit to sound fresh mm-hmm. um and, and just give the album a listen to from beginning to end, and you'll see what I mean. Because you've heard White Rabbit a million times, and when it comes up, it sounds different because of this song. Right, right. So. Yeah, had White Rabbit come after, like, three-fifths of a mile in, a, in ten seconds, that just wouldn't have... It, it would... It, it would it, 
it would be weird coming off one of the soft meditative songs, and it would have been strange coming down from uh, right. one of the rockers. Right, right. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, the next song is, of course, White Rabbit. And maybe you go chasing rabbits, and you know you Hookah smoking. Caterpillar. How did that? How did that not get into the intro? I don't know, because I went with asking out advice yeah, from Alice. I don't know. I should have done that. I, 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 I think I've talked about Dolby Mall before. Yeah, but they had that head shop in there. Yeah. Oh, what was and the I, name of it? I think it was the was uh, the White Rabbit. No, it was the mushroom. The magic mushroom. Magic oh, mushroom. The magic okay, mushroom. but they had, had a hookah that, smoking that, that, a giant hookah Mural? smoking. Yeah. No, it was a. It's made of wax. I think oh, it was a okay. candle, except the kind that you're never going to burn because right. it's, it's artwork. It's, yeah. And it's got a hookah smoking caterpillar <laughs> with a big grin on yeah. its face. Yeah, I had I no. That. We would walk in there and go. This place is so cool because it was next door to um, or down the hall from, from Zebra uh, Records or well, one of that Zebra. What was that? Dolby Mall Records or whatever it was yeah yeah that's so funny it was um <laughs> yeah and i don't know what these no, people that, working there thought it was that who are these that hamburger place or that hamburger place it was right mcdonald's by. yeah mcdonald's <laughs> Dan, no, daniel no, no, johnston no, no. worked it was, there it was, like, it was the was largest green. mcdonald's in the world at one time donald and daniel johnston worked there oh. all right so I'm this gonna, is an, another great society song yeah her song though yep. she wrote this this she is good it. songwriting this to me is one of the most realized songs ever recorded i mean the, the the lyrics the way that she sings it the way that the band backs it up um there is so many ways you could have screwed up this song uh and it, it's I, I think it's a flawless execution i mean i could have seen somebody in lesser hands or somebody would have put oh we gotta put strings let's put a mellotron on it and they, they whoever yeah this guy just the well, producer just hands up my hats off have, have you heard the great society version of it i have not it's got like a seemed to be a 25 minute intro before the song kicks in. Um, and, uh, and it's more upbeat in this version. It wasn't what she wanted to do. She wanted that kind of bolero marching sound to it. And, and so when she brings it to this band, they do that. And then Cassidy's bass, when I talk about iconic basses, this is that, that bass on this song is iconic sounding it's it's in that guitar it's like, bow, bow, bow. just those three notes just add so much to you just remember what the doormouse says <laughs> you guys oh <laughs> that's the song was actually supposed to be called that feed your head at one point um you know she was she was on acid listening to sketches of spain the miles davis album yeah for 24 hours straight when she came up with the idea of the song. <laughs> well i believe I her see that yeah so uh, why is the red why is the red queen always running i don't know i'm trying to remember alice in wonderland well, she was wasn't she the, she has to always run oh, to she stay always still. has to run to stay still <laughs> oh, that's right. Right. yeah yeah so this is another song that i've heard so many times that uh it's it's difficult to f- know what this was like when it came right out. It, is. Um, it was the third single release it was released when they had already gone to the studio to work on their next album when this was released 
And um, in a lot of ways, I think, and we talked about there's psychedelic elements all over this album, but this to me is like what grounds it's, this it album. It is the most psychedelic song. On this the is album. what grounds well, this makes her the acid queen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, well, which is so funny because if you see, and we'll put this on the website, if you see the interview with them on American Bandstand. <laughs> you know, it's when she's performing it, she's got this black hood on and she just looks ominous in the band. But when, when Dick Clark comes over and interviews them, they couldn't, they couldn't be more ordinary. They're like, you know, funny, <laughs> engaging. It's just kind of a funny little juxtaposition. Did you see her interviewed by Dick Cavett? No, I should probably watch it. I don't know what it is about Dick Cavett, but he has the most uncomfortable interviews of anyone. <laughs> he had, who's the other one? He had the, that preacher or whatever it oh, was that's that right. for oh, yeah. the Southern. For, yeah. Uh, for the, when we're talking about the uh, Randy Newman, good old boys, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, he's, he seems, um, when he's not name dropping people, he seems uncomfortable about talking to people. When he's know? like, he's got to make fun of you to interview you. Yeah. yeah. But, but that did not yeah. go well with her. <clears throat> she is, uh, yeah, she brooks no nonsense. She's, she has some of my greatest quotes in rock and roll. One of them is, uh, you know, how she, does not want to go do the rock and roll thing. She goes, people over 50 doing rock and roll look stupid. And she said, <laughs> she goes, you know, I don't believe all that stuff anymore. I'm not there anymore. I can't get up there and sing that stuff now. And I think, yeah. thank God someone's saying that. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, you want me to throw a little bit of the Great Society version of the song in just for yeah. good yeah, listening? Yeah, yeah. All right. Jeez. Playing scales behind her, it sounds like. And they don't have a pee popper on her. Mike. But I mean, listen how fast it is, too. Yeah. Anyway, the, it's, that, you know, how um, um, somebody to love sounded ferocious yeah. when Airplane got it. This version, their version of White Rabbit, just sounds significantly more ominous. Like there's yeah. something yeah. like it's, it's otherworldly. I love the way. I, mean, I think I both versions sound uh, ominous, and it's both of them sound like. Is she saying this is good, or is she saying this is bad? <laughs> it's not. It's not clear that this is a yeah. rallying cry for the. Uh, uh-huh. The Stoners. well, that's but that's not what the. That's not what the punters thought of it. Yeah. They saw it as a rallying. Oh, I know. I know they thought it was the voice of a generation. We're, we're expanding our minds and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Anyway. All right. So moving on to the last song on the album. And since we haven't talked about my favorite song, any guesses what my favorite song on the album really? is? Really? This one. <laughs> That's interesting. It is Plastic Fantastic Lover. Shuts all this nothing but a used machine. Her aluminum finish, slightly diminished, is the best I ever have seen. Cosmetic baby plugged into me and never ever find another. And I realize no one's wise to my plastic fantastic lover. That bass line, dum 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 dum. That's how the boots are made for walking. Yeah. <laughs> I, and listen, it's not. This isn't a Tony song by any stretch. No. 
you know, there are other songs on this, some more Tony songs. I just, this song fascinates me to no end. It's I'll not like that. anything else on this album. It, um, it's, it's so unusual. It Musically, is. it's unusual. Uh, Balance vocals yeah. on it are, un, it makes you feel uneasy. The song mm-hmm. makes me feel uneasy. And for some reason, I'm attracted it's to it for that. spidery. Yeah. Or there's just and, something going yeah, on. When he gets to the, gets to the chorus and he says, you know, plastic fantastic, like, the way he says it just sounds so odd. It really does. And, um, the it's, instrumentation it's is fantastic yeah. on this album. And, and plastic is still new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, it's so funny to think about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the the grad the graduate yeah. plastics. plastics. Um, well, and if word. that song came out now, it'd be about something entirely different. Well, you know what it's about, though. No, it's I about television. Not. Oh, that's uh, right. But um, did he, how did he get a plastic yeah, TV I, back I mean, then? They're all a big Magnavox. He said, so. uh, supposedly he wrote it when he w- they were in Chicago and he he went to a plastics factory or saw huh. a plastics factory. I don't think he went to it, but they saw a plastics factory and that's where it came from. I but yeah, it's our about TV te- in New York was a plastic TV. It was about television and kind of that is a weird addiction, you know, yeah. or a new addiction. But yeah, that's the last song on yeah. side two, last song on the album. Well, there's there, you. you I can't this to me this song almost it like it doesn't go anywhere but it's just supposed to kind of it is something that allows the the band to kind of stretch out and do some some more weird stuff that they haven't done and there's just like that cacophonious thing that we we were listening to it was almost getting to that point it that the you mean all that off kilter yeah, kind of and, stuff and, and that, I think yeah. I think you know, listening to this album longer term, I I doubt it would remain my favorite song. Right now, it is just because it's it's so much to me, it so much more interesting. interesting than some of the other stuff. That's not to knock anything else on it. I just this song stands out to me as being worth worth paying attention to. Yeah, I also think uh, when this one's played live, it it increases in stature. Yeah, because they they're able to go nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of room in there for people to go nuts. To go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's got that Tom Tom kind of start on the, anytime you do Tom Tom drums, that means you can pretty much go anywhere. Oh, and, and uh, when the, this, this band had a lot of people not telling anyone else what to do. A lot of them, they're just doing mm-hmm. their own deal and it, and it really works. Um, yeah. So, so it's kind of a leaderless band in a lot of ways. It is. It's most demo- I mean, I, I don't know if democratic's the right word, but it just seems like, hey, it's what can commune, you do? Yeah. Self-governing yeah. commune. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this like self-governing autocracy. This album, you know, obviously <clears throat> did well in the charts because of the singles "White Rabbit" and "Somebody Love." Somebody Love, but it only hit number three. Do you know what the two albums were ahead of it? And 67? 67. February is 67. I am going to well, say... Well, it reached number three in August, so we're talking about August of 67. It was released in August? No, no, no. That's when it peaked, when oh, it hit okay. number three. Okay. It, it, didn't, it didn't hit number three immediately. Oh, Sergeant Peppers. Sergeant Peppers was number one. What was number two? Uh, it's probably Tom like a hair or... Uh, <laughs> Some some horrible AM radio. I believe song. it's the f- we've talked about Fifth this. Dimension. We've talked about this album before, and it's the f- it's the first album this band was allowed to contribute their own songs. Oh, to the oh monkeys. monkeys headquarters headquarters. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's well, they said, "Hey, y'all got one of our songs on your album." <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed so, to be us. <laughs> um, one of the things I just wanted to talk well, about this this year. Uh, I, I love looking up 
top albums of different years. Yeah. There were some monster albums out this year. It's, it's I, of course, this is yeah. 65 to, uh, to, to 73 yeah. for I, me I, as I the think, magic years. I, I think early on when we were doing the podcast, we looked, we were looking at years, and for me, I remember 68. 68 being that was like, your year. Holy cow. Yeah. Just bam, 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 bam. Um, yeah, sixty-seven was Hendrix' uh, debut. Um, yeah, it was. Look, beautiful. Uh, you can go. I, I think anything. Love when it. did Israeli Gears come out? Was that sixty-seven? There's another, another cover. Was that sixty-seven though? <laughs> I, I don't remember. It was. I think that is. I think it was yeah. sixty-seven. I've never. That was never grabbed a hold of me like some of the yeah. others we talked about. Well, it's but it's one of those covers that you know. Yes, yeah. yeah. people look, think look, they're psychedelic. We're psychedelic. And, yeah. yeah. Something's dripping, so that makes it look like. <laughs> well, what what was it that th- this band showed up on TV with the uh, big giant blob things uh, behind them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, went one of the first times that was on national TV. I don't know what to call that—the big giant they're just colored. Li- they're like they're light. They're like light gel show. It's yeah. a light show. That's what light shows looked like before we started shooting lasers at everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, I find it infinitely more interesting. Like I love watching that old Pink Floyd footage where they're yeah. they're they're like. Um, and they and and it's we've talked about this before. What's interesting about the the psychedelic movement in England was they thought they were doing what they were doing in the states, but because they were that far apart and there wasn't this instant communication, it got filtered through this weird thing and ended up being something completely different. <laughs> yeah. When we talked about the um, uh, tumbleweed connection, that that's where that came up. How that weird filtering thing. But uh, one thing I just wanted to mention before we go on and, and go to the um, ratings. You know about the Levi Strauss thing? I don't know. So um, Levi Strauss approached Jefferson Airplane about uh, creating a series of radio ads around this time. And what sold them was the company said, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you mention the product. (laughs) So the band did it, didn't think it was a big deal. But of course, yeah. this was 1967, and a small contingent of radicals got upset about them selling out. In particular, Abby Hoffman. Oh God, yeah. the founder. For, yeah. I mean, we everyone knows. Guy, I'm not going to yeah. say who he is. Um, he said <laughs> the commercials were quote morally abhorrent, <laughs> and he wrote a letter to the New York Village Voice, and he said it summarized for me all the doubts I have about the hippie philosophy. I realize they're just doing their quote unquote thing, but while the Jefferson Airplane grooves with its thing. Over 100 workers in the Levi Strauss plant uh, on the Tennessee-Georgia border are doing their thing, which consists of being on strike to protest deplorable working conditions. So, when the Isn't band- it funny how the, the, the people who hate the man the most sound the most like the man, yeah. like, like a, the, the church lady? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when the band, but when the band found out about the strike, they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And Levi Strauss, to their credit, didn't push it and let them out of their contract. So happy ending. I'm wearing Levi's right now. I'm feeling, well, that's what they didn't think it was any big deal. They all wore Levi's. They thought this is not, I'm not wearing Levi's. Not after what they did to those workers. (laughs) (laughs) Plus they cost more. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is the, unless we want to talk about anything else, this is the point in the podcast where we will ask for ratings. All are we right. ready to move on? I believe we to are. that portion. Let's do it. We do two ratings. One is a critical rating uh, based on the musical merits of the album, regardless of how we feel about it um, in our own personal view. And the other is our personal view, whether we would listen to the album again. So I'm going to go to JM, Jonathan JM Rowe, and ask you, 
Jim, can you give me your ratings for Surrealistic Pillow by Jefferson Airplane? Yeah. I'm sorry, by the Jefferson the Airplane. The Jefferson Airplane. Um, I'm going to give my critic rating first. It's a it's a 5-0. I mean, this, this album is the, the blueprint for so many things that came after it. This band is a fantastic band. I think they're an uh, underappreciated band by people our age. Um, and sometimes I just don't think they've, they've gotten their, their due, but they are, this, they're, this is a fantastic <coughs> band. They made fantastic albums. This may be when they were firing on all cylinders. Uh, so now I'm going to move on to my personal rating about, like I said, I've mentioned a couple times, I, I discovered this album in, uh, in college. I had a cassette of it and I made it, Maybe I made it from your album, Doug. I can't remember, <laughs> but it just sounded like crap, and it just the, sounds like this album. <laughs> it just sounded. It, it was scratchy, and it was real. Uh, you know, um, just wasn't mastered well. I don't know what what it was, it, but it just didn't sound good to me. So I just never really got into listening to it. Um, but then about three years ago, I started getting on this Jefferson Starship kick. And I started buying uh, Jefferson Starship albums and just in it, the I just started really liking them. And I said, well, let me go back and listen to Surrealistic Pillow and just being blown away going, that's the best album in the lot. Um, and so I just I absolutely love they're They're one of my bands that I've kind of rediscovered recently, and I've just been enjoying them uh, so much over the last three years. So I'm going to. But saying that I love the instrumentation. I love Grace Slick's voice. I love how the, the, the lyrics um, and I love Marty Balin's voice. So I this this is an album that hits me on all cylinders so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it uh, a four nine and i can't really tell you why i'm gonna drop it a tenth of you a never point. can jam i never can <laughs> but it's uh it's not something that i it's kind of like when you're talking about you have to be in the mood for it there is a little bit of i do have to be in the mood for it but i am always happy when this like when i when i bring it up on my uh <laughs> I'm a stereo. All right. Well, thank you for that, Jam. I appreciate it. So a five oh and a four nine. Very high praise coming yep. from our humble producer. I'm gonna go next since this is Doug's um pick. Uh so I'll give my critics uh my critics rating first. I'm going to give it a four or five. I think this album, I, out of all the stuff we've talked about, and I don't want to sound like a broken record ha, about uh, <laughs> psychedelic sounds. This, this album really does, uh, even though the cover doesn't look it, the album, you know, this is one of the few albums you could say, okay, it got a point. Yeah. Um, it, it hits all, it hits all those notes. Um, exactly what JM said. The musicianship on it is, is fantastic. Um, the songs that Grace Slick brought to the band, uh, fundamentally changed, I think, the direction and the sound. Um, there's still elements of the old band, but they're, they're, they're different. If you listen to the first album and listen to this one, you can see they're moving into kind of a different, different realm, direction, whatever. Um, I, I do think, though, um, going based on my joke that I said earlier about the 60s called They Want Their Soundtrack, there is a slight datedness to this stuff. And I and I agree with Jam as well. I have to be in the mood to listen to this. So going to my personal rating, I'm going to give it a 4.0. 
this isn't something I could listen to all the time. I will say this. I had never listened to this album all the way through. And I, again, not sound like a broken record, but I was impressed by the, the way the songs fall into place. There's not a miss in it. I mean, it's really, it's really really good, well sequenced album. Um, there, unlike what Doug said, the two hits on this album, I've heard a lot and I do tend to get a little tired of hearing them. I did listen to them a little differently based on their placement in this album. So that helped. Um, but I'm going to give it a four Oh it's, it's definitely an, an album. I was not, I'm a little surprised that I liked as much. And I think a lot of that has to do with what JM said about not being aware of a lot of things this band had to offer other than the hits. There are songs on this album that are interesting. There are songs on this album that are beautiful. Um, and the musicianship is top notch. So yeah, four Oh five, four, five, four Oh Doug. Well, uh, as I said, I am a, I should be, uh, I should recruit, recuse myself. Okay, good. Uh, going on, <laughs> but, uh, given the fact that it's an opportunity to talk, I'll continue to go. Uh, I, my personal rating is a five Oh, uh, this is, this is one of my favorite albums of all time, and I've been you're just listening. A hip, you're just a dirty, filthy hippie. <laughs> yeah. and it's so funny that that a guy like me is is one of his favorite albums. Um, I even have a shirt with Ronald Reagan on it that says, "I smell hippies." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, there's Jerry Garcia. Um, as as a critic, I'm gonna go uh, four eight and. I'm I'm going I'm doing that just because of and I hope that some people will think I'm consistent. <laughs> the 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 lyrics sometimes um just uh, I I really did give you a break by not banging the lyrics. Yeah, I mean I I'll admit that uh we don't have a great we don't have great poetry here. Um so yeah. if you compare it to something like um uh, the Dead's uh, American Beauty is yeah. the lyrics are Box of Rain or yeah, it doesn't it's, it's doesn't it's not even the same category. But those those guitar noises, uh, the the voices, I love all all the voices. Um, yeah. uh, and I I started loving those voices when I was really young, and uh, and it's not waned at all. I'm like JM. I I I have most of Jefferson starships too until what, what's that little, that guy that doesn't match anyone else joined. Oh um, uh, yeah. Um, looks like it sings like uh, the journey Mickey, guy. Steve Mickey Perry. Thomas, yeah. He's a great singer, but the, the sounds completely bit. different. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's when I saw them when freedom uh, point <laughs> zero came zero. out. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I'd, I'd, I'd like this album and, uh, everybody that's serious about music, at least needs, needs to hear it. Yeah. Do you think that they are the best group vocal band ever? No, I, th- I think that they're the way that they sing together. Together, together no. I no. think is just fantastic. I don't know who the best uh, group vocal. Well, think team. of the Mamas and the Papas. Think of like I think the Birds are uh, okay. That's 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 a yeah. I don't think anybody sounds like the Birds when they sing. Well, I and, don't think anyone you know sounds what? like any of these. Guys. You know what else? Yeah. I Except say, these I'll, guys sound like the Mamas and Papas. I'll, 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 t- I'll, t- I'll tell you another band that I think uh, is going to. I've said I said it earlier. I think the Who. 
is when those three guys sing together, they yeah, sound amazing. Yeah. I amazing. Agree. I agree. There's a band called Queen that sounds. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just mean like just, but they. You're talking about in this genre. In this genre, well, like, I mean, when outside, they, like vocals come in and. I out like the and, way it's not so much that they sound so great together. They do. But I like the freestyle. Yeah. Of, I, yeah, I will give you that. The way Grace, like the first song, the way Grace's That's the vocals come yeah. over and she sings something other than like not really attached to the main lyrics, right. that that sounds great. Yeah. And they do that better than I anybody mean, else. And who, just coming I, up with that. I if know. I push ahead to uh, St. Charles when, they're, when yeah. they're all singing, that's mostly Paul Kentner laying it down, but yeah. the other two... Uh, I, I guess Marty Bell singing so, most of the stuff. But. Uh, that's the song on our previous podcast, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The song on an album we would not recommend that's podcast. Right. Check yeah. it out if you can. Yeah. St. Charles. Oh, St. Charles. Um, I have no idea what that's about. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I, I'm going to give a recommendation, and I'm not... I, you know, I, I do this a lot where I try to have something that fits in with what we're talking about. I don't always hit that, but there's a local Austin band called the coffee sergeants. It's been around for a while. Um, and they've released some albums as recent as 2018. I am going to recommend though, their, um, 1991 album. I know that's not new, but it, uh, it's an album. Uh, you should check out their newer stuff, but in terms of psychedelic, this is what we're talking about. Obviously, it's a little bit more of the. I'm going to play another one. Uh, that's what it means to me. And then I'm going to play this one, which is called uh, Rick's Turkish Delight. Obviously, um, that's, Harrison was in the room. Yeah, the that's much more of the sort of British era psychedelic stuff. But these guys are really, really good. Um, they lose a lot of that direct reference to the the 1966 Beatles stuff as they progress. Mm -hmm. And their later albums, Phantom Versus being the latest one, is a little bit more straightforward. It's got elements of it. But anyway, this album, like I said, is called Minaret. It's uh, You can get it on Bandcamp. We'll put a link on our website for it. But check it out. Local band. I always like to tout local local artists. And these guys, if you're into psychedelic music, these guys are definitely worth worth checking out. All right. Well, thank you there, Tony. Uh, so we've come to another end of a, this is Vinyl Tap episode. Be sure and look us up on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl and our Facebook group page. And if you're old school, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. And the best way to experience This Is Vinyl Tap when you're not listening to us is to go to our website and you can find all sorts of interesting things up there about episodes that we've done in the past and You'll find out a lot more information about the uh, groups that we've talked about 
And you can also get links to past episodes and uh, links to the Tony's recommendations as well, or our, our recommendations. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by the great Marshall Crenshaw. His first album, Marshall Crenshaw. host Doug Cooper, our co-host Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Remember, we want somebody to love. <laughs>